You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. It's Mackie and Judd from the TCL Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. Martinez, Ezekiel, and Washington all with 100 yards or more on the ground. Here's Washington leading for the end zone. Touchdown, Nebraska. The cherry on top of Scott Frost. And for Frost, finally, that first win as Nebraska head coach. I asked you guys yesterday before the show, like on a Vikings Monday, I said, the, like, you guys were kicking around some Vikings prep notes, and I think my e- my first email, I, I can't remember if it was an email or face-to-face, 2018 communication, <laughs> said, I have Gophers takes. Is Monday after Vikings too aggressive for Gopher football takes, or should we wait till Tuesday? The, the vote was wait till Tuesday. I think if they had won, yeah, we, <laughs> we might have been able to fit some Gophers takes in, but after that on Saturday, that was uh, that was disturbing to say the least. Okay, so I disagree. You have got to be. Kidding. Oh, I can't wait to hear this, Phil. Well, no, and I'm not. Be, I'm, 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 you guys are looking at me like I'm an alien. Yes, it was a. It was. It was definitely a bad loss. It was embarrassing. This is. Is it fair to say this might be the single worst season in Nebraska football history to this point? Have they ever started a season? 0 I don't think they've ever 6? started zero six. No. So that the, the, they lost to Troy. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's all you need to know about. Yeah, they this lost season. all of their non-conference yeah. games, but Troy. So. Here's my question. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna turn this around with a question to you guys. Two years ago, when PJ Fleck took this job, he verbatim said, "My second year, much like Western Michigan. So we're, the the first year is ground zero because we aren't. You know, it's a it's just a bunch of guys that we're trying to evaluate, bring in our own players throughout the course of the year, and then season one is really season two. And in that season one, which is really season two, gonna play mostly freshmen and sophomores." He choreographed a bad season in season two by telling us, I'm going to play a freshman quarterback. I'm going to play freshman linemen who are going to be 30 pounds lighter than most of the linemen they go up against or most of the offensive linemen on good teams like Wisconsin. Yep. So he, he flat out told us year two is going to be, well, as he coined it, a year of learning. Yep. As I, if I could rephrase it, looking ahead from two years ago, a year of losing. The year two was going to be a year of losing. Mm-hmm. And a year of young players taking lumps against bigger and better and senior players in the Big Ten. Did you see how many upperclassmen started on defense on Saturday? Was it zero? Nine. Okay. Nine. Okay. Now here's your here's the problem. But but I think you're 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 evaluating one bad game and calling it a disgrace and a disaster. And this is I'm, this was so predictable cl- 2 years ago that people were going to jump on this team. I'm glad you said that. Even though he choreographed this for us. Offensively, I like him. And I think he knows what he's doing offensively. Defensively though, not to take a long hard look at what's going on with this program since there's going to be expectations in 2019 would be a massive mistake. Because one bad game it is not for this defense. This team has given up 21 touchdowns in Big Ten play this year. The average length of those touchdown plays is 31 and a half yards. Mm-hmm. You need to be very careful that you have the right guy coordinating this defense 
so that when the expectations are raised starting in 2019, you can hit the ground running. I like Fleck offensively, and I think he's got some good kids co- coming in. But he's an offensive guy. He's not a defensive guy. So what I what I need to be sure of is that he's got this right defensively from a coaching standpoint as well as a recruiting standpoint. Sure. And listen, you can you can grind this game down to a nub. Anything bad about this game that you say, I'm not I'm not here to disagree with. It was terrible. You I'm not saying you should have gone on the road and necessarily won that game nine times out of ten because you don't exactly have your own house in order right now. Uh it's it's a down Nebraska team, but you know, to fall down twenty one points off the bat, to be down twenty one nothing, I agree. It was pretty embarrassing to lose in that fashion. They tried to come back. But in general, this Gophers team was not supposed to be good. They're supposed to be young, especially offensively. Uh, They switched quarterbacks in the middle of the game, a a freshman to a freshman. And I think it's, it's, it's just a really predictable thing for, and I'm not calling you a Gophers fan. You're the opposite of a Gophers fan. but I like some do well. But for Gophers fans and people who follow this program, to get a year and a half into a new regime and be like, this is an embarrassment and a disgrace. Like, well, no, this is what he said was going to happen. He this was going to play a bunch of young dudes and lose. This is sorting out, this This is a year where I firmly believe it's sorting out what means something and what means nothing. Because he did say that they were going to be bad, and they've got, for the most part, a true freshman quarterback playing. And offensively, I think they've made strides. The, the, line, has, the line in the last few weeks... Has definitely improved at times against the Buckeyes. I thought it looked it looked very good. The receivers have made some great catches. We have not seen a receiving group this competent at the school for quite some time. Mm-hmm. So offensively, I think they are on a positive track. Defensively, I've got concerns about the fact that now in your last six Big Ten games, your point totals against have been 40, 59, 35, you just keep giving up, you, you give up so many points. I'm sorry, 39, 31, 42, 48, 30, and 53. And one of those is off a, a pick that was returned for a touchdown, and that's it. So I just think that this year you've got to sort through what means something and what means nothing. And the fact that your defense looks this bad potentially means something as far as coaching yeah, is. And I don't know. I, I, I think this dude, I think you need, I think from the, the point he took the job, I think you needed at least three years to figure out, okay, what is he? What is this? Is he all talk? What kind of recruits is he bringing in? And then give those kids a chance to not be 18 years old. Okay, once his recruits are 20 years old, then we start to pass judgment. So you definitely are passing judgment a lot earlier than I am. And maybe I'm in the wrong. I'm literally sitting here like I I was emotionless. As a guy who gets a little more emotionally attached to gophers, we both went there. You went there for what a yeah, semester? Five, like or something? five minutes. Yeah. Well, I went there for four years, and I used to have season tickets, and I get irrationally, emotionally invested more than you do. And even I'm sitting here, just stoic, watching that game on Saturday, not because I'm numb to the Gophers, but because in my head, when he took that job, I said, "Yeah, year two, oof, year two is gravy. Uh-huh. If they can do anything in year two with a freshman quarterback and whatever whatever else they put out there from a young standpoint. And then year three, year four, let's see what happens. It's I just, really hard for people to have that same patience. I just want to see this defense show something, and so far it, for the most part, has not. Offensively, offensively I'm not down on this team at all. Defensively, I've got some really big question marks Man, about them. Manny's been waiting to call me crazy for seven minutes. No, now. I, you're not crazy. Here's the issue I have with, with Saturday. It's, it's not that they lost the game, and... This is why I told people after they beat Fresno State, when everybody was saying, oh, they might win eight or nine games. And I said, hang on a second. Let's pump the brakes a little bit here. Number one, 
They went 3-0 and in the non-conference, and they beat Fresno State, which was a game that I thought that they might lose. From the start of the season, I thought if there was a game in non-conference that they were going to lose, it was going to be Fresno State. And they turned around and they won, and Winfield made the great play and everything, and everything was great. But I still thought this team is still probably not going to win any more than about six games. Because when you get to the Big Ten, everything kicks up a notch. And even going into this game on Saturday, I thought they might they might lose this game. Yeah, Nebraska, because, Nebraska has a more talented roster just in terms of sure. like where, they, where these kids came from in high school and star rankings and things like that. Right. The problem I have with Saturday is the performance. It wasn't that they lost the game. It was the performance. That was awful against a team that may have some young talent and Scott Frost may get that program turned around in a few years, but you cannot go after – what you did at the horseshoe the week before, and you played a really good first half against Ohio State, and then you just ran out of gas in the second half, and they just, you know, they they basically took over that game and they won as they should have because they're one of the best teams in the country. To follow that up, because after that game, I was thinking, man, this is pretty good. They showed up in Ohio State. They got beat, but they played a good half of football, and you know what? I can't complain about that. To follow that up with that, what we saw on Saturday, is unacceptable to me. It's unacceptable. And it's not that they lost the game. I was fine with them losing the game going in. But you cannot perform like that. You just you just can't. Not against a team that hasn't won a game all year. Are you guys saying you like, gotta perform better than that? When you guys say that they like it's unacceptable, they cannot do this, and they cannot give up the points like Judd's saying on defense, are you guys saying and so the coach needs to be held accountable and the coach is doing a a bad job, big picture wise, because I think PJ Fleck has raised the bar for recruiting the here. Co- the coach, the coach is a recruiter and, and a good offensive guy. He needs to make sure he's got defensive guys who are as good as he is. I just don't want to hear any more excuses because I like PJ Fleck and I'm fine with him and I'm I'm all on board with giving him a few more years to get this thing turned around. But after that performance, I don't want to hear any more like we're a young team and we're all that because Nebraska, the Martinez kid, he's a freshman too. He's a freshman too. Nebraska played a bunch of kids too, and they kicked your butts. But Nebraska historically should kick the Gophers' butts. I think we're well, I think we're getting caught yeah. up in this. Well, they, they were on six too, but they were on six, Phil. Okay, like, but that's you guys a bad Nebraska team. But are you guys? Are you guys are getting so caught up in one game of a clear rebuilding season nope. for PJ? No, no, Fly. no. I'm I'm giving you several games in which the defense has been putrid. Yeah, and it's going to be. It's putrid. not one. I want to it's see not process. one game. It's not about. I I, I don't care. I don't care. Again, I don't care that they lost the game. I just want to see process. And Saturday, to me, was a step back. Let's take one call on this quick here. Pete in Minneapolis. Go ahead, Pete. Yeah, I mean, it's we haven't seen anything. Because after, um, after the non-conference, I thought, you know, I've seen this movie before where they went 3-0. And then, um, you know, and then they got to the Big Ten. And the same old fold act, you know. And, uh, you know, I mean, they gave up 40-some against Maryland in that first game. I mean, that was the tip-off right there that, you know, things were going to be like they always have been. And, you know, I, I was one of the guys drinking the Kool-Aid thinking they, they might go 9-3 before the season even started because I, I looked at all the games. But now, I you know, and I figured Indiana was when That's not even a sure win anymore. Indiana's better than they used to be, and uh, which isn't saying a whole lot, I agree. Um, you know, the Purdue, or Purdue is really good. Look what they did to Ohio State. 
And then you've got, uh, you know, they should beat Illinois. If they can't beat Illinois, then, you know, PJ's, I don't know. And, uh, you I know, see. Northwestern's good, you know. I mean, it, it's going to be, and I don't see them beating Wisconsin and Madison. If they do, that'd be great. But, well, Pete, uh, thank you for the phone call. We're up against the clock here. Okay. When he took over Western Michigan, and I get that it's a little apples to oranges because we're talking about the MAC versus the Big Ten, and he has to translate what he did in the MAC to the Big Ten. Totally get that. He took over a program that was terrible relative to its conference. They won one game the first year, and then they were sort of middling the next two years. And then year four was the big breakout year. Once he had an experienced set of players and the freshmen and the sophomores that he played the first year or two, grew up into 20 and 21 year olds. So I don't know, like to sit there to call in and say, well, if they can't beat Illinois, then like he's to insinuate that PJ right. Fleck should be fired. He's, Are we really no, doing that no, right no, now? No, like, that's no. absurd. That's, that's ridiculous. O- no. only, only the maddest golfer fan is saying that he is in no jeopardy. Okay. He is in zero jeopardy. He shouldn't be. Okay. I just want to make but sure I'm that with Manny out. on the process. And, and, if you've been around the sport, you know that guys who get offense or defense are very competent at that side of the ball, but they need to be surrounded then by, by in this case, a defensive coordinator who is really good. And when you give up this amount of point totals this consistently, my question becomes, do you have the right defensive coordinator? Which I think is a very fair question. I think that's an incredibly fair question. And I think Gopher fans should be upset with what they saw on Saturday. They should be upset. Now, should they be calling in and saying PJ should be fired? No. I mean, come on. We're halfway through year two. So nobody nobody with the, in their right mind should be calling for PJ Fleck to get fired. But people should be upset with what they saw on Saturday. Yeah, they I'm, should be upset with what they saw on Saturday. I'm not going to be upset for two more years, honestly. Like, I'm not going to be upset for two more years. It doesn't matter. It doesn't so matter. Wait, wait, so you're not upset in 2019 or 20? Or, or just through 19? 2020? If he hasn't, if he hasn't started to pay off, what <laughs> if he hasn't started to actually cash the checks that his mouth is writing? But that's, but this isn't the year for to get all worked up. You guys are really worked up over go for football. I, I just, <laughs> I just wanted to see something better than what right. I saw. On you Saturday. know what? You know what? Ohio, and I should have saw something. Ohio State, Ohio State was a good team. effort. I'll give them that. All right, Nebraska. That's what bugs me about Nebraska it. was embarrassing. I get that. But I'm big. I'm big on making sure that when you're going, that when you expect to hit the ground running, that you can do so. Yeah. And when you're giving up point totals like this, I think it's very fair to question the schemes. All right, six, fire fire the coordinator, but don't fire Fleck. As long as we're on the same page, hey, there. Fleck might have to decide. Six, I got to go get my guy. Six five one six four six eight two five five. Mike Golick Jr. coming up shortly too. Mackie and Judd will return shortly. Just a reminder: this station does not endorse this on fifteen hundred ESPN. Mackie and Judd are back. You're about to make a whole lot of people around here real happy. Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios on 1500 ESPN. All right, let's check on your traffic here. 35W northbound, we have a crash between 86th Street and 82nd Street in Richfield. That's causing a bit of a delay. And also 35W southbound uh, between Highway 55 and Portland Avenue South. We still have that crash there. That is causing a 21-minute delay if you're heading southbound on W uh, in Minneapolis. Thank you, Manny. Michael Jr. here in about 10 minutes or so. 651-646-8255. We're just sort of sparring here, the three of us, about go for football and how embarrassing has this defensive performance in this season been? And I'm I'm more pump the brakes, give P.J. Fleck 
a few years to figure this out. Manny and Judd are a little more upset. Tom and Minnetonka, what do you think? Well, I'm a season ticket holder. I can't give you facts or exact facts, but I will tell you this team went won nine games under Tracy Clay's with a primarily defensive expertise, and the defense is not starting freshmen and sophomores. There are upperclassmen, a fair number of them. And to say, so you can't use the, oh, we're too young on defense because they aren't. It's just simply not true. They're taking bad angles, and that's how come these guys are getting around them for big scores. They have a serious problem at uh, uh, defensive coordinator, and I hope to hell he fixes it. Uh, yeah, thank you for the phone call, Tom. Um, I mean, I, I, I hope the argument isn't about whether Tracy Clays should have been the coach here, but Tracy Clays is Tracy Clays is a very good defensive court. Yeah, if Tracy Clays was this team's defensive coordinator. I'd be all for that, but I'm not sure that Washington was ever going to be right? a reality. Yeah, he's yeah, he's at Washington State. Yeah, no. actually, Pat just interviewed him for like 40 minutes earlier today for a Star Tribune piece. That's gonna really, come yeah, hmm. yeah. He had a he was a very good coordinator. That's accurate. He was not head coach material. Yep. Um, I I just I don't know. I think we're I think we overlap a little bit in, in how we feel about this program, but the pattern has always been. So this program has been. Mostly dormant for 50 years. And by dormant, I, I'm i not talking about eight or nine win seasons where you win three or four games in the non-conference and then you win a small handful in conference to make your record look better and you go to some second or third rate bowl game. I mean, to me, that's not relevant. I mean, they, they haven't played in a Rose Bowl in a half century. They haven't gone toe-to-toe with Wisconsin in 25 years on a regular basis. They popped up a couple times against Wisconsin in like 2003 and maybe 2001. So for a program that hasn't been nationally relevant in 50 years, we fall into this pattern so easily in this town of new coach comes in, and then after like 15 minutes in the second year, yes. we start to get super mad that this team isn't yes. Wisconsin going toe-to-toe or Iowa, these programs that have built success and sustained success over long periods of time. So I mean, PJ Fleck in theory should get like eight years to figure out if if get a couple different sets I don't know of if classes it works like in. that in college football. But no, anymore, no, no, I agree. That's not how it works because people right. get but people I, get so mad and they want coaches fired I, after five minutes. I yeah. agree with you. That's why I think that the most important thing to look at is where is your team or program currently, and and let's take the expectations then and let's develop those into how how you can win as fast as possible what's right and what's wrong mm-hmm. that's why i'm picking on the defense specifically right now because i say to myself unless fleck comes out and says these kids can't play they're terrible then there could be something wrong with your scheme so when your offense let's say in a year let's say 2 years your offense is set to just take off mm-hmm. which it could be I, I honestly believe that this guy is a really good offensive mind. So 2020, your offense is going to take off. Your defense at that point needs to at least be respectable. And if it's not there, that's the problem. I'm all about getting right what you can get right. And if that includes tweaks of, of assistant coaches, that's fine. Yeah. As someone just pointed out on Twitter, and I just pulled up the depth chart just to just to confirm this. The secondary is the young part of the defense. Now, yeah, okay, uh, Chenault is a senior. Uh, Jacob Huff, the safety, is a senior. But Terrell Smith, these are guys in the rotation playing regularly. Terrell Smith is a freshman. Jordan Howden is a freshman. 
Uh, Keandre Thomas is a redshirt sophomore. Benny Sapp III is a freshman. Uh, Calvin Swenson is a sophomore. Justice Harris is a sophomore. They got a couple of guys who are second, third line uh, depth chart freshman, freshman. So that they, if if you're if if you have a, again, I'm making excuses here just because I'm like I I feel like PJ Fleck deserves the benefit of the doubt for a few years and we'll see what happens. But when you have a bunch of freshman sophomores in your secondary, and let's not pretend like the upperclassmen they're playing are four star recruits out of high school here, okay? Mm-hmm. Let's not pretend like they've recruited Urban Meyer that's, that's caliber why, players. That's why my question is... Well, they've got a bunch of seniors. Do you have okay. it right? That's my question. Do you have this right? Do you have this in the best situation possible so that w- when you are expected to take off and be competitive consistently and be good, you can be? That's a very fair question. I don't think we know. I just... Right, but that's, but I'm, but that's my point with PJ is he needs to know that because his expertise is not going to lie on that side of the football. Well, I would I would feel more uncomfortable about the state of the program if he had to fire a defensive coordinator after year 2. I mean that to me that would say, "Whoa, you you didn't identify the right guys to to bring in to start with." So I I, I would feel I would feel more uncomfortable with that than I would be that the okay, the players are just not up to par and or they're just not there's just a, a a bad connection there somewhere. Here, here's here's the way I look at it, and I know we got to get the break here because my goal Junior is coming on, and I'm sure but, he has a ton of go for football takes. <laughs> I would just like to know what changed or what happened from Ohio State to Lincoln on Saturday. What what was different? What what because after the Ohio State game, I was like. Again, I didn't care if they lost the game. I didn't even care going into the Nebraska game if they were going to lose that game. I just want to know what the hell happened uh, it's, in that it's, week I, leading up to the Nebraska I game. I think it's that, easy. They're not very good. So they they can sure. they can pop up once in a while and they, and they're going to, you know, this is a team that wasn't exactly Fresno State's fine, but Fresno if Fresno State plays Ohio State, did Fresno State play Ohio State this year? No, they didn't. Uh if Fresno State plays Ohio State, do you think that game's coming down to a miracle interception at the very end to protect a victory at home? Probably not. But you know, so this team is, has enough talent and is buying in enough to be able to go in for a week and play hard against Ohio State. It's just like there were times where Rashad McCants would score 20 points in a Timberwolves jersey because he's a talented dude. He's a first-round pick. But consistent performance week after week is something we have. I, I've never seen from this team in my lifetime. Even the con- Glenn Mason teams. We've been seeing consistent performance, all right. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mike Golick Jr. is going to join us when we come back. The football hour in the 5 o'clock includes Matthew Collar and uh, all kinds of takes. But let's talk about... Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios. Please keep working during the following announcement. Mackie and Judd are back on 1500 ESPN. Join Matthew Collar and Courtney Cronin for a live taping of the Purple Podcast at Lucky's 13 Pub in Roseville this Thursday from 5 to 7 p.m. We'll be giving away a pair of tickets to watch the Purple take on Detroit and other fabulous 1500 ESPN prizes. Lucky's 13 Pub in Roseville this Thursday from 5 to 7 p.m. Details at 1500ESPN.com. Keyword events. The Jets have a good football team. Um, We were able to turn turn them over four times today. I thought we, we did a nice job with field position. We didn't actually take care, take advantage of it as much as I would like to, but uh, you know, um, the field position I figured would be big today with some of the wind. And then uh, 
you know, we had a couple nice nice runs there uh, by Latavius to finish it off, and then the obviously the fourth down pass that uh, that uh, Robinson caught was was big to kind of put it away. All right, Mike Zimmer talking about football. Mike Golick Jr., noted football enthusiast, joins us every week on the Mackey and Judd Show. Uh, if, if if you were putting together your NFC POW power rankings, where would you put the Vikings right now? Whew. The Vikings for me right now would probably be firmly planted at number three. Like yeah. they've definitely benefited, especially in the last few weeks from a softer schedule. But we knew this team coming in. We know what they see. And right now for me, the Rams are at the top of that board and barking right at their heels for me are the Saints. They were my Super Bowl uh, pick to represent the NFC at the start of the season. So I'd go Rams, Saints, and then Vikings firmly at three. So that, that being said, uh, who, who do you like on Sunday night then with the Saints playing the Vikings here? Yeah, so it being in Minnesota certainly makes it interesting. I'm really hard-pressed to go against the Saints right now. It just seems like getting Mark Ingram back for them on offense really balanced things out in a way that you've seen help the defense, too. And Mark and Marcus Davenport and company, they're just they're a little more whole. Now, it'll be interesting. I know the move just got made for Eli Apple today. Yep. If he suits up and ends up assimilating into that secondary, what they're able to do. But I just think right now... The Saints are a little more balanced. Minnesota's getting back to that point. Like, for all the talk of Minnesota's woes up front with the offensive line, I think it's trending in the right direction. Like, having Pat Elf line back for a number of weeks now has definitely made the middle of that unit much more viable. And we know, I mean, Kirk Cousins to Adam Thielen's the surest bet in football right now. It's just, I think the Saints are just that, that little bit step ahead right at this point. How remarkable is Drew Brees? I mean, the man is 39. He, he's having a great year. And and the fact is that he continues as he gets towards 40. Golik, I think he continues to get better. Well, and, and it's timed up perfectly because for so long, Drew Brees is in that category of quarterback. And it's a really select group that elevates whoever is around him. And that's not to say he hasn't always had weapons, but we've seen years where he's still been throwing for 4,000, 5,000 yards, it seems like, with not the fullest complement around him, not like he has now where you've got you know a, a Ted Ginn Jr. speedster, you've got Michael Thomas, who has a legitimate claim to the best receiver in football right now, and then just the amount of balance. He's well-protected. He's got two of the best tackles in football. He's got a legitimate two-headed monster at running back. So these are all the things that, as a quarterback, is getting into the later years. And we know Drew takes great care of himself, but when you're trying to take hits off of him, to make sure the ball can get out on time, it makes it a lot easier when your supporting cast is as full of pro bowlers as it is right now. So, Golik, if you're Mike Zimmer and you're you're trying to put together a game plan to, I mean, I don't I don't know if this offense can ever really be fully shut down. Talking about the Saints here, but if you're Mike Zimmer and you're finding a way, you're trying to find a way to at least slow this offense down. Uh, to make it easier for your own offense to put up some points and, and, and compete in this game. What, what, what can you do to try and sort of slow this high-powered Saints offense down? Well, I think the first thing is, and we see this as a trend. I mean, no one is above this. I, I think borrowing from what the Patriots did against the Chiefs, when you've got an offense that hums as hard and as loud as those kind of offenses do, keeping them off the field is paramount. So if you're Mike Zimmer and company, it's a steady dose of Latavius Murray in this run game and trying to make sure you keep your offense on the field. And That's not to say you change completely what you do, but you're more cognizant of areas where you can make that a part of your attack more consistently and just try and keep your offense on the field for a little bit longer to help the defense out. And then defensively create confusion in the middle the way Mike Zimmer has done now 
he's been able to take advantage of rookie quarterbacks on that side. And so the textbook Mike Zimmer double-A gap blitz where you've got guys mugged up and then pressure can come from anywhere at that point because you've got so much talent and speed across the board. I think you keep that up, but you stress the middle of that line. You know, For as good as I mentioned the Saints' tackles are, Max Unger is a great center, but the guards there have been banged up throughout this season. They've been working with backup guards and guys rotating through at certain times. And I think if you're going to get them and have them had anywhere, pressure up the middle is always in vogue, but that's probably where they're most susceptible up front with that group. And you know, if I'm picking my poison, I'm trying to stop Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara. You know, Michael Thomas is a guy that's going to get his. We've got, you know, you guys on the back end that you trust. I know Xavier Rhodes dinged up now, but I think stopping Ingram and uh, Kamara is really where you stop this offense first and foremost. Mike Gola Jr., how many how many quarterbacks in NFL history would you definitively take over Drew Brees? You know, we were doing this the other day because when he passed that yardage mark all time, I said we have to have a conversation where, and it's always difficult, who do you take out when you say Drew Brees is probably a top five all-time quarterback? Uh, But, I mean, legitimately you're thinking about, you know, Favre, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, probably in that vein. You know, I know a lot of people are going to throw Elway in that conversation. Montana is going to come up in there. But, man, just the, the... and I understand the offensive rules are different, but Drew's just been so consistent over a lot of the changes we've seen in the league. You could argue him and Sean really ushered in a lot of the offensive tendencies that we've seen. So I'd probably only say maybe four or five quarterbacks I'd really be comfortable with before Drew. Speaking of QBs, sir, how uh, how dumb do you think the Giants feel these days for not taking one? Because this whole thing is a uh, complete dumpster fire. And and I love the fact I love the fact that the main talking point of last night's game was going for two when you know what? That's fine, but let's talk about the fact that this team took a it took Barkley, who's a fine player, instead of a quarterback when it's really clear that Eli Manning is cooked. Yeah, you know what? That's certainly clear, but more than anything, and the more I see this team and the more exposure, and I heard Booger McFarlane make this comment last night, the amount of money you paid Nate Solder this offseason for the lack of production you're getting off of that side and certainly off of this group in general, you tried to revamp this offensive line this offseason, and we have to call it what it is. It's been an abject failure. Now, you've got a left guard who's going to be a, you know, a second-round draft pick in Will Hernandez who's going to get better but you've been injured at center. That right side, you brought Omame over from Jacksonville. That hasn't worked out. We know what's been happening at right tackle. The way you assessed and tried to revamp this offensive line, to me, undermined your effort more than anything else. I think if you would hit on a few more of those guys, Eli Manning threw damn near 400 yards last night. He's got some left in him. I still think it was a mistake, but the biggest and most egregious failing this offseason was the way they tried to reconstruct that offensive line. Not too dissimilar from what Minnesota did before last season and had a great deal more success with. Alright, let's let's switch over here. I, we've talked about this before. I'm, I'm a noted uh, Notre Dame football fan, and so I've always, I've always uh, sweated these games with you in spirit. And I mean, I know that Navy is not a pushover anymore his- historically at Northwestern. I know there's no ranked teams on the schedule, but let's not be I mean Florida State. There's trip up games here. What are your thoughts on Notre Dame's path? And what are the chances? Like, how many times out of 10 do you think they get to the college football playoff? I think right now I'd comfortably say seven times out of 10 Notre Dame yeah. get to the playoff. Just because you're right, Navy's such a unique trap game, too. We know the history of this rivalry, but it's not just a quality team that can trip you up. It's one that is an entire, an entirely different animal on your schedule than anything else you face. You have to scrap normal rules, especially on defense. 
for an entire week in lieu of preparing for these guys. So I think that creates a different challenge. That And for that game, you're going out to San Diego in an environment that's unfamiliar. The Yankee Stadium game against Syracuse terrifies me because we know what that offense on its best day is capable of. Uh, uh, especially with the way they move the pace. And you're doing both of those in foreign environments. You know, that game at Yankee Stadium, I played Army at Yankee Stadium my junior year. We were the first team to play in New Yankee Stadium. And just to give you an idea of the level of focus it takes, we went in there, and thankfully not against a very good Army team, but we were distracted on Friday. We went in there and we scrapped the walkthrough so that we could take in that experience. And I think there's value in that. I think that's smart to embrace those environments. But it just tells you it's not your normal experience. And anytime you get out of the norm, that's the stuff that worries coaches and that's the stuff that worries veteran players. Yeah. So I, I, on Navy real quick, I know Notre Dame is like a three-touchdown favorite in this game against Navy. So, but, so Navy has played seven games, and they've thrown 75 passes, and two of those were running back passes. So they're, they're, not, they're averaging like 10 pass attempts per game in an era in football where it spreads and passing and records and, and their completion percentage is 44% on the season. So I know that you weren't in the defensive meetings, but like how, how is it that a team can literally line up as if it's 1942 with nine guys in the backfield and just jam the run, jam the run for three hours and have that be problematic in 2018? Isn't that weird? Well, they take advantage of human error. The hardest part about a Navy offense is sticking to your keys. In other offenses, you can look at, get, get away with looking in the backfield every once in a while, with going out of your way to make a play. Against Navy, you are penalized by that when they've got a great quarterback. So the difference is this year, Navy's been dealing with so much injury at quarterback. Malcolm Perry, who they had been in there as a starter, is electrifying. Zach Aby is a bit more of a ground-and-pound guy. Garrett Lewis, we've seen all these guys at different points this year. And so without having a Ricky Dobbs or a Keenan Reynolds that's a consistent signal caller in there, that often suffers a bit. But on their best day when they're humming, they take advantage of the fact that most other teams are going to be undisciplined. They're like a tennis volley where they're just going to keep hitting it back over to you and count on the fact that eventually you're going to try and do too much. You're going to try and get outside of your responsibility, and that's when and why they're able to kill you because all of us end up making those mistakes at some point or another. It's just, can you get up by enough points and make as few mistakes like that as possible? Did you guys hear what Golick Jr. just did like a minute ago at the beginning of that answer? He named all three Navy cor- all three Navy quarterbacks. Just Football! Football, yeah! That Ricky Dobbs yeah! name drop. I remember that one. I remember him. All three Navy quarterbacks, just all in one breath. That was amazing. That's football. I had, right you know there. what? I had the fortune of calling a Navy game earlier this season, so fresh <laughs> on my mind. Fortune or boring? <laughs> Which one, Golic? <laughs> it's, no, it's fortunate because those games are over in a tight two and a half hours. And I'm not <laughs> hey, Golic, is there, stand on the topic of college football real quickly here. Is there anybody that's outside of the top four that could potentially. Um, leapfrog into the college football playoff conversation, or who who would you say that's outside the top four right now that could uh, maybe have the best chance of getting in, getting into the playoff at the end of the season? Uh, I think Oklahoma. I think Oklahoma's got a really interesting path here because you're going to hear the conversation about Michigan, Ohio State, Oklahoma, and Texas right now, and where Texas and Michigan Michigan fall outside of the top five is going to be interesting and telling, but. As far as the one-loss teams, Oklahoma lost a nail-biter in a rivalry game against Texas, who's going to be a top-five, top-six team. If they have a rematch in the Big 12 championship at the end of the year and manage to win that, 
and get a little help along the way, I think of those one-loss teams left, those potential one-loss conference champions, they're going to look the best. And I would be very interested to see the way the committee treats that versus a one-loss Ohio State if they beat Michigan, who we've seen got drummed on the road, got beat by double digits, and the committee tends to penalize if you get beat badly. We saw that happen with Ohio State when they lost, I think it was Iowa, just last year. So we know there's precedent for that. Makes it a tough road for the Gophers. All right, Golik Jr., we'll see you next week, man. See you, Golik. Bye. Thanks, guys. Go Irish. Man. If the Gophers would have kept that game a little closer in the fourth quarter. <laughs> I just I just like the fact that you two geeks pivoted to Irish conversation. Dude, he, were, just, he just named I all know, three I know. Navy, named the Navy third-string quarterback. I said you two geeks. <laughs> you know what? Golik Jr. and I could have a pretty fun conversation about just random names from whatever years, just Drop a, drop a team from us on us from like a few years ago. He and I could probably trade names back and forth. Actually, put on, put it on the schedule for tomorrow. We're gonna go back to the Manny random football <laughs> random sports trivia challenge. All right, we're gonna pull a team. You're not even gonna know where it's coming from. Okay, either me or Judd are gonna. We're just gonna pull a random team from some sometime in pro? your life. College or pro? Well, I would say pro because there's just a better chance of knowing who the right guard is. Although it's Manny, so I maybe yeah, I, I was gonna that. say. <laughs> Yeah, um, you. I I saw this quote from Jeff Teague a couple days ago. You just sent it. Let's let's bring it to the to the show here next. The Wolves have stumbled upon something revolutionary defensively, something that no other team has thought of defensively. Don't go anywhere. Assume the position. More Mackie and Judd coming up next on fifteen hundred ESPN. Live from the TCL Broadcast Studios, Mackie and Judd are back. Come on, there's so much to do. On 1500 ESPN. All right, let's check on your traffic. It's brought to you by Kitchen Window. We've got a couple crashes to tell you about. Uh, 36 eastbound near Stillwater. We've got a crash causing about an 18-minute delay. That's between Keats Avenue North and Lake Elmo Avenue. So uh, prepare for an extra 18 minutes if you're heading uh, near near Stillwater on Highway 36. Also, 35W southbound, we've got a 13-minute delay. That's in Minneapolis between 3rd Street and 11th Avenue, and that is also due to a crash. Don't miss the Knife Fest this weekend from 10 to 4 at Kitchen Window, Calhoun Square in Uptown. Free knife sharpening, free knife seminars, and 20 to 70% off all cutlery. Kitchen Windows, Knife Fest at Calhoun Square this weekend. Details at kitchenwindow.com. I just like the way, you know, like he sort of persevered through it, you know, and I thought the uh, the spirit of the team was strong. Like his teammates were encouraging him to shoot and he just kept playing, which I think is important. And then I thought Tyus and uh, Gorgie and uh, Anthony Tolliver and Derek and, and Jimmy, that group played well again. Tom Thibodeau, he's talking about Josh Okoge, who has played a combined 53 minutes in the last two games. Mm-hmm. And, and, your guy, and your guy got hurt last night, and Josh Okoge stepped in and looked damn good. Well, started two for nine from the field, but then he looked fine after that. I, I asked Manny Hill, I said, would you consider a scenario under which Wiggy got moved to the bench and Josh Okoge oh. started? 20 years yeah. old, young, up-and-coming player. Fresh slate. Yes. Well, here, here. So let's just go through the starting lineup right now. Okay. The only guy who isn't ball centric in the starting lineup, the starting rotation, is Taj Gibson. Cat needs the ball. Cat. In fact, Cat. Cat. <laughs> he's had a couple nice. He's he's racking up some blocks and he's been 
He's been better the last couple games for sure than he was. Was it the opener that he was clunky and he only had like six shot attempts yes. and a bunch of fouls? Yes, he fouled out, yeah. Yeah. Good last night defensively especially. Very good. Yep, and, and that's good. He should still be taking the most shots because he's the best offensive player on the team, just efficiency-wise. But he needs the ball. Jimmy Butler's ball-centric. Jeff Teague is one of the most ball-hoggy, ball-centric point guards in the <laughs> league. And sometimes it's great because he'll put up 27 points. And Andrew Wiggins needs the ball. So if you took one of those dudes out, and the obvious candidate would be, well, Jeff Teague or Andrew Wiggins, and get someone who doesn't need the ball as much to be effective. But if you took Wiggins out and put a guy in who, let's be honest, Okogi has better energy. He's grabbed, <gasps> shocking, nine rebounds combined in the in the two games. Now Wiggins has grabbed some rebounds this year, too. And I just, I don't know. He doesn't need the ball all the time, although he did take a bunch of shots last night. I I don't disagree with that point that he would, I like just him a lot from a fit night. standpoint, he's kind of a mini, he's like diet Jimmy Butler, right? He's got the same sort of haircut and he's energizer bunny guy. The thing, the thing that I liked about him last night, especially though, is, is guys seem to gravitate towards him. When it comes to Andrew, they just don't like, there's just no, I don't know. He's not the if walk in a room guy. His personality, I don't know what, but guys do not gravitate towards him. It it actually takes it actually takes him doing something fantastic to excite his teammates. Which doesn't happen for him. It does not. <laughs> but a Kogi, a Kogi seems to be a guy that guys like and gravitate towards. And so I just wonder if it would make some sense. Now I, I don't expect Tibbs to do this because it would be a radical, radical change. But if you said to yourself, okay, let's switch them up. And you know what? Best case, best case, Andrew says, oh, my God, I'm not Dude. starting. And Wiggins, do you tell Wiggins, come off the bench I and wake just up? be a spark for 25 minutes a game? Yes. But then yeah. but then you get into the whole, how do you justify his max contract? Well, well I mean, the contract is what it is. That's the problem. Yeah. Is that it's just, it, cost it is what it is, and it's it is. not going anywhere. <laughs> but, you know, maybe you, you, you move Andrew to the bench, and you have him come off the bench with Tyus Jones, who's going to play with a lot of energy and wants to play fast. Derrick Rose is going to play with a lot of energy and wants to play fast. Tyus doesn't need shots either. Right. And with Andrew, you can just go out there, and if you're playing with two guys, two other guys in your backcourt that are playing fast and playing with a lot of energy, maybe that pushes him to play with... Okay, never mind. Are you drinking over there again, man? <laughs> I went there. Why not? Give it a shot. Manny's brown paper well, bag you, might as well, you might as well try it. But Okogi, I mean, this is... I. I like the energy. I love his defense. He's got the wingspan to be disruptive. I start him, or at least if you're not going to start him, play him. This is going to sound weird, but he plays in what my mind is a very mature game too. Like he he started two of nine, and he didn't look like oh my god, I'm missing shots. If things start to go wrong for Andrew, it seems like it goes wrong very quickly. Yeah, and and he loses confidence in himself. With a Kogi, look like okay, I'm two for nine. I'll keep shooting. Also, if you're wondering why the Timberwolves look so much better defensively in this game against the Pacers. Is it because Wiggins didn't end up not playing the entire game? That might have been part of it. <laughs> that was half of it. That was 50% of it. The other 50%, they may have stumbled upon something. Hopefully the league doesn't see these quotes from Jeff T. Because if the league catches up to this defensive strategy, I, 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 I feel like you don't want to let the cat out of the bag. Jeff Teague, when asked about the Wolves' defensive strategy said i was so happy to see us switching <laughs> joe switched uh, uh jo oh josh okogi okogi switched on all the depot 
Then he switched to Miles Turner. I was like, there we go. The new NBA. Finally, we made them do something different. Switching defensively. You know what Tibbs yeah, called what it? What a novel concept. You know what Tibbs called it last night? Activity. Yeah. <laughs> the activity was good. Tibbs was giddy last night, oh, yeah. boys. He was darn near Cracking giddy. jokes and everything. Uh-huh. Yeah. All right. Enough of this basketball crap. Back to football. It's the football hour. Matthew Collar coming in here. Mackie and Judd. Manny Hill from the TCL Broadcast Studios. Sit tight. The Mackie and Judd show will continue in a moment. Do I have your word on that, sir? Mackie and Judd. Absolutely. On 1500 ESPN. The South Dakota Stories, Volume 1. She was a city girl, but always somewhere else in her head. Somewhere where bison roam, rivers flow, and people get their hiking boots dirty. Like, actually dirty. So one day she fled west and discovered this place of beauty, history, and a delicious taste of adventure. But before she knew it, she was driving away with memories to share and the hopes of returning. Because there's so much South Dakota, so little time.